deep pattern. Downfield, touchdown Miami. What a throw, Devontae Parker. Holy smokes, what a drive. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as we do daily, we're going to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, I spoke to a handful of Dolphins assistants on Tuesday, as many as I can get to, getting some professional perspective on some of the storylines that I found most interesting this week heading forward. So our deep dive this week is something of a smorgasbord of clips, snippets, statistics, analysis, and a whole lot more. Let's go ahead and fire this thing off from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. So we're going to work off of the audio here from several coaches I spoke to on Tuesday at Media Availability before tomorrow's podcast, taking a look at the New York Giants as we officially flip the page here on this Wednesday to week 13. It's already week 13. I swear that the NFL season or football season in general is kind of like having kids in that every single year it goes by faster. And this year, week 13, it blows my mind. It blows me away. Busy here every day on the podcast, but it just continues to go by faster and faster with only five games left to play in your 17-game season. It's crazy to me. We have the bye week coming up too, so hopefully that helps the club get more refreshed and more healthy heading down the stretch run after this week against the Giants, but that is for a future discussion. I want to start here with Charlie Fry, Dolphins quarterbacks coach. I spoke to him on Tuesday about Tua's growth this season, which I think we all can agree is pretty tangible, both when you watch the games, statistically, and just about any way you want to look at it. And we start that thought with this stat here that I found from CBS Sports, who collected Tua's quarterback ranks for the month of November. Of course, he didn't start every game this month for the Dolphins, came off the bench in relief of Jacoby Brissett, who got nicked up in that Ravens game a few weeks back, but since then has come on strong and played some of his best football. But in the month of November... 80.5% completion percentage. That's first in the National Football League. His passer rating is 110. That's fourth among all quarterbacks. His yards per attempt is 8.58. That's second among all QBs in the month of November. And of course, with a win percentage of 1,000, he's tied for first in that category. So Tua and Flores kind of here in Miami making a a bit of a hopefully trend going forward about their success post-Halloween. And that's a great way to really for any football team to show their growth and improvement. One of the mainstays of what Brian Flores wants here in Miami. Obviously, you want to get out to a better start as well, but winning and getting better as you go along is kind of one of the many themes of Brian Flores and his quarterback has followed suit in that regard. But completing better than 80% of his passes for the second straight week and on a tear really since coming back in that Ravens game, we talked about the 16-game stats, 3,515 passing yards, 27 total touchdowns compared to just 12 turnovers. I wanted to ask Charlie Fry, since he came back in the lineup, what have you seen from your second-year quarterback? I just continue to see growth. You know, and young, young quarterbacks go through a development stage, and what you want to see is growth, and a lot of that growth is due to hard work that, that nobody sees, you know, that... That's what it takes to, to play the position, and you're seeing a lot of uh, a lot of his hard work carry over from meetings, that meetings after meetings after meetings, and then walk through, and then practice, and then 
taking that to the game. And we know about the work habits of Tua Tungavailoa. We saw it all offseason, the work he did with his personal trainer, and obviously coming out here and getting together with the receivers and the stuff we saw through the course of training camp and, and throwing with guys after practice and all that fun stuff. Also asked Coach about, we saw Tua get a little bit fired up throughout the course of that game during some of those penalties that were kind of stacking up. Some of those drives got pushed back into very long down and distances. I wanted to ask him if that showed the display of leadership on the field and accountability was that a sign of him being more comfortable in not just the system the program everything but as being a pro now making his 16th start yeah i think it's it's the uh the urgency that he's that he's playing with and urgent expecting things to happen and it's just it's, he's carrying things over from things he's doing uh that, that nobody's seeing so it's good for him. The stuff you see behind the scenes, very important element to any player's game, especially the quarterback. And Tua's favorite target in recent weeks and really all year long has been rookie receiver Jalen Waddle. And we covered this during the draft process before he was even a Miami Dolphin about some of the praise that Alabama head coach Nick Saban gave Waddle for his competitive spirit and fire and just how much he meant to that Alabama program down there when he was with the Crimson Tide. And so I wanted to ask Coach Grizzard, Dolphins receivers coach, about that fire that he displays. Is it a switch that he flips when he crosses the white lines? Because you saw the post-game interview when he was talking to the CBS reporter. I forget her name. My apologies for that. But Tua comes running over and celebrates with him, and he's all fired up. He's just all smiles, a nice, polite kid. And then he gets out on the field, makes a bunch of catches for a bunch of yards, and starts flexing the muscles and, and doing the whole thing. So I was curious to ask, Coach, is that something that he flips a switch, or do you see it all the time? I think he ratchets it up on game day, but you can see it on the practice field too, whether it's from the time he got here, just wanting to compete. Uh, whether it's going against a scout team or going against good against good. Uh, he brings it and, and he does a good job in the classroom with it too on trying to be on the details of what he's supposed to do and what his role is for that play and trying to execute it. And I think it's just natural on game day. Just take that from if it's here, then it's just it's going up a little more. And to kind of complete the entire dichotomy there, as you heard Coach talk about practice classroom you see it all the time with the young man so basically when it's all about ball it's time to get that competitive fire and those competitive juices going but I thought the perfect balance to that was the penguin waddle celebration which is a nice little momentary departure from waddle's you know typical game day mindset that kind of killer mindset where he wants to go and make the most of every single rep the one where he displays all that fire and intensity and how it's now put him up there as far as pro football focus grades go as the highest graded rookie receiver in this year's class. And part of that is the element of adding explosive plays to his game, including a 57-yard reception on Sunday. And now over the last two weeks, he has himself 17 grabs for 202 yards and a pair of touchdowns, one on the ground, which again vaulted him to the top grade among rookie receivers. So I asked Coach Grizzard about that play because I've watched it so many times now once he catches the ball, and we saw this at Alabama, we've seen this when he gets the football in his hands and really can unlock that speed. It's, it's rare level speed, and it was the fifth fastest speed tracked by the NFL this year per next-gen stats at 21.8 miles per hour top speed. So I asked Coach, how often do you see guys move like that? What do you think of the speed he showed on that play? Here's Coach. Well, pers personally, you know, that was, he, he was rolling. The only person that was moving faster was Dante Jackson. So, uh, he was rolling too. Uh, no, he, he clearly has 
great speed, which, which we all have known and we've seen. Um, but in comparisons wise, I, I, I don't know. That, that, was, that was way up there. Yeah, I think it was the fifth fastest time this year. Yeah, I had those, a couple people sent that to me. That was that, that sounds about right because yeah. <laughs> he, he was flying. I told him I think that he was probably moving even faster on the one where he caught uh, the backer from Atlanta on the interception. Yeah, but he just had the ball in his hand, so they don't track it when they, they don't have the ball. I don't. So we talked about speed there with Coach Grizzaro, but I also wanted to ask about some nuance in the route running because I broke this down for you guys on the All-22 podcast, that third and six conversion where I thought it was one of his best routes, really as a pro to take the inside release, get back over the top and stack the defensive back and make a tough contested catch. So uh, naturally had to ask Coach about the nuance in the route running from such a young player. I, th- I think that he definitely had the, the skill set to do those kind of things, and it's, uh, it's shown up. Uh, he did a, gr- a really good job on that one for being pressed and, and having the guy really draped on you the whole time and trying to break leverage at the end. But, uh, yeah, he, he, he works at it, and uh, I, th- I think he's definitely improving in, in his game as well. On Monday, I had a chance to ask Brian Flores about the addition of Philip Lindsay and what it said about his coaching staff to get him up to speed and playing as much and as well as he did in the game on Sunday and kind of give us an idea about what to expect going forward here with Philip Lindsay as he can hopefully be part of, you know, some more future game plans here. But I also wanted to ask his position coach because Coach Flores talked about the credit for Eric Studisville and getting him up to speed, meeting, walking through, meeting, walking through, meeting, walking through, getting on the practice field, getting those mental and physical reps to get him out there for 15 snaps in a game when he was here just three days prior and his arrival. And, you know, the NFL is so unique in the way that, in many ways, but in, I think one of the most unique things about the sport is how quickly opportunity can arise. And for Lindsey, you know, he goes from, a Houston Texans team where his season high in rushing was 39 yards. And then he's waived and claimed by the Miami Dolphins, who then three days later put him on the field for 12 carries and 15 snaps. And he winds up with a personal season high, 42 yards on the ground. Also had a key, key blitz pickup on the 57-yard play from Tua to Waddle. So I wanted to ask Coach Studisville about how was that process of getting him ready? And what does it say about him and his work ethic and mindset to be able to get ready for a game like that? Because not only does he rush for 42 yards, here's Coach Dudasville. Yeah, I think, you know, it's a credit to him and the work that he put in in that short period of time and how motivated he was to want to get out and play and compete and jump in as soon as possible and, and find a way to help contribute to the team whatever way he could. Rolling along here, a weekly topic on the podcast at this stage has been rookie safety Javon Holland, and I found it interesting that two weeks ago against the Baltimore Ravens, he blitzes Lamar Jackson 22 times and produces the most pressures in a game from a safety since next-gen stats began charting GPS data back in 2016, and then Sunday, just two weeks later against the Panthers, Holland blitzes just one time, playing primarily in that deep safety role. 27 coverage snaps in the game does not allow a single yard in terms of pro football focus tracking for yardage allowed in coverage. Wanted to ask Coach Gerald Alexander about what that versatility says about Javon Holland, his makeup here in his rookie season. I think that's kind of been the philosophy that Coach Flores has had in regards to just what he looks for in a Miami Dolphin. You know, a guy that's uh, loves the game, uh, that's multiple and presents versatility where you can use them in, you know, in different roles. And, and Javon has done a great job of you know, being able to display his versatility, um, his skill set in the deep defense, as well as his effectiveness towards the line of scrimmage. And so um, we have an opportunity to look at the things that we want to do defensively on a week-by-week game plan. 
and be able to utilize our personnel the way we see fit. Had to follow up there with GA about the interception he made because we kind of talk about Holland's instincts throughout the course of this season and the podcast. And I just want to get his take for what he saw on that clip because it kind of gives us an idea going forward about how this kid can continue to mature and grow and just get smarter, play faster, and ultimately produce even more than he already is. Uh, based on the call, uh, the execution of the call, and the technique that we talk about in regards to that situation, I thought he, uh, he did a good job putting himself into position and undercutting the route. And, uh, you know, he made a play on the football. You know, that's some of the things we talk about all the time. When, when technique and opportunity meet, that's when splash plays happen, and he made the most of the opportunity that he had right there. And Holland's partner in crime back there in the defensive backfield in recent weeks has been Brandon Jones. Of course, he was down on Sunday, so Eric Rowe sees a workload increase, seeing his highest snap percentage of the season at over 90% of the snaps played, producing some really gaudy stats in his own right, playing some split safety, covering the slot, and factoring down around the line of scrimmage in the running game, five total tackles, a pass breakup, and 37 receiving yards on 35 coverage snaps. We've seen Eric Rowe produce here for what is this, year three now? It's good to see him get back into the fold for a significant role. He's been productive in his, I don't want to call it a limited role, but a less role without Brandon Jones out there. So I wanted to ask GA about his ability to come down and play those multiple roles that he did because we know this was a guy that was a cornerback previously. He transitions to safety. He's played some time, spent some time rather inside the slot. So I wanted to ask GA about the value of having a player like that in your back pocket that you can just unleash. Kind of like we talked about Philip Lindsay, right? Opportunity presents itself. You go out there and make a big play. One of those, or make a bunch of big plays, I should say. It's kind of this team philosophy of you can do all these things so that you're more valuable to the football team. And when we have a guy down, you step in, fill that role and multiple roles, roles change. Eric Rowe is one of the kind of catalysts to that on this team, much like a Javon Holland or a Brandon Jones, really the entire position group. Here's GA. Yeah, we're, we're fortunate, you know, we're fortunate to have some really good players, you know, specifically to the safety room. Um, obviously with, with, with J-Mac going down early, he was another one of the guys that presented just the versatility of being able to do a couple of different things. And so, you know, when you put a guy in like Roe, who's, who's had significant roles, who has a significant role for us, um, and if one guy goes down, you know, his, his role increased, um, which is something he's not unfamiliar with because he's been in that role before, and um, it was good to see him excel in, the, in that situation. Did you guys happen to see the Zach Sealer mic'd up video where he's talking about going into the game, coming off the, off the field, and, and sharing reps and, and sharing roles and jobs with a guy like Christian Wilkins? We talk all the time about how those four interior defensive linemen really pair up well and match up well together and complement each other well. So did you guys watch the, or if you didn't watch the mic'd up video with Zach Sealer, here he is on Sunday cheering on his friends and his teammates. Yeah, Christian! Look at him. He's so pissed. He's so mad. He's so mad. <laughs> Get no. Wilkins. He has one play. All right. You're nice I would love that, but. No. Yes. Yes, Christian. <laughs> yes. Yes. I got him. Hey, you owe me. That's how you take over. Man. All I'm saying is I was supposed to be in his shoes right there. You didn't want <laughs> Let's go! thought that was awesome to hear. That was him and Raekwon Davis celebrating alongside Christian Wilkins there after his sack to close out that game and how fitting it was because of how many chances Christian, not just in this game, but all season long, really all career long, has done a great job creating chances for others in addition to his own production. And so I wanted to ask 
Coach Clark, who was heard in that video and seen on the sideline celebrating. And by the way, I told him, like, man, keep doing that because I love watching you get excited out there. It gets me excited as if the results don't already do enough of that. But Coach Clark definitely loves watching his guys succeed. He talked about how lucky he is to be here because of the fact that this team really plays for each other and the selflessness of the room. In fact, let's just go ahead and go to Coach Clark. Absolutely. That is, uh, and I'll be honest with you, man, that's why I'm lucky as hell to work here because it's a selfless group. Uh, You know, that's one example, but for us, that's every day. I mean, that's how all these guys are. It it doesn't matter if it's Raekwon Davis, Agba, Christian. Uh, These guys guys like playing together, uh, and, and, you know, it's amazing kind of what guys can individually accomplish when nobody cares who receives the credit. And, uh, you know, they're a great group. They're pros, you know. And uh, so I I consider myself lucky to work with them guys, and, and they've done a hell of a job so far. And we got to do it again this week. Let's stay on that line and kind of continue here with rookie Jalen Phillips, who I had a chance to ask Coach Clark about not just his sacks in this game, that third pass rush move that was so deadly. Coach Clark breaks it down for us here, and then we'll go ahead and skip forward to the next question I asked him about teams giving him some attention with some chips and some doubles and possibly trying to focus on him up front in the pass rush game. First, here he is breaking down that third sack of the game for Jalen Phillips. Yeah, it was a great job of a level rush, and his get-off was great. Had a good plan, went speed to power, countered inside, finished, you know, and, and Adam Butler did a good job with the nose, taking two. Gink spun inside, so it was a good good three-man rush by all three of them, and Jalen in particular, heck of a play there. I think it's kind of all of our guys, to be honest with you. I mean, every, you know, Agba's dealt with that. He's going to deal with that. Uh you know, and that's just part of making plays and, and what comes with it in this league. And, and you should expect that every week. And uh, I think he's done a heck of a job with it. So you hear him there talking about Phillips' ability to kind of command attention, but just really the entire defensive line and the pass rush plan they have. You heard him mention, I think, Andrew Van Ginkle in one of those answers. So I followed up and asked him about Andrew Van Ginkle's production during this winning streak and how his pass rush game has kind of developed here over the course of the season. Yeah, I think, you know, the last game in particular, I thought Gink played a heck of a game, you know. He may not have necessarily the stats, but it's a great example of a guy that played a phenomenal game without recording a sack, you know. Uh, I think uh, his get-off, his effort he plays with, uh, his recognition and his ability to anticipate plays uh, is great, and, and he's a guy that can fit any role of up front, outside backer, any of those type of roles. So his versatility's been great, and you know, Gink's a pro, man, and, uh, you know, I, I think he's just going to keep getting better and better. You heard him talking about that pass rush where he gets a hit on on Cam and doesn't get the stat but impacts the game. I told him, like, I thought that Cam after that, the passing game for the Panthers was just different after Gink put that big shot on the quarterback, and Coach Clark said that's not new for Andrew Van Ginkle. And, you know, he had one the week before, too, uh, same type of rush on the edge and, you know, just uh, – I, I just I think we're 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 lucky to work with that guy every day. I think he's a great pro. Uh, I think he helps the other guys, you know. And uh, you know I, I couldn't be happier for a guy to have some success. And the challenge for us is, you know, we got to build on this and be consistent and and do this this week and, and really just focused on today. And guys getting better today and having a great practice tomorrow. Let's go ahead and flip it over to the special teams now. A nice brief answer here from Coach Crossman, who I asked. If he could just break down the punt block for me, because that was the first one we had this season, obviously, a similar look to the punt block we had last year, 
against the Chargers. Well, we, uh, just a little bit of movement, trying to get them into communication breakdowns, make sure the vision was maybe somewhere where it was, wasn't supposed to be. And uh, again, anytime you get people having to communicate, potential for an issue. And uh, fortunately, we were able to, uh, to make a play. Moving along, going back to the offense here and the offensive line in particular with Coach Lemuel Jean-Pierre. Just wanted to kind of uh, gauge his assessment of the growth so far of left tackle Liam Eichenberg, obviously in his rookie season. What has Lem seen from his look, rookie left tackle? Growth, which you know what you always want, you know, uh, kind of said from before, you know, you always have these questions and things going, you have these young players, but like it goes back to him, like you said, the guy we, we, we you know, dug into and found out about. Guy's tough, mentally, you know, physically, of course. And um, he's just continuing to try to just grow and perfect and, you know, learn from, you know, good things and the bad things. And you just see more of the growth coming, you know, through to him. And we reach out, we talk all the time still, and he's just hungry for knowledge. You just see it, you know, last game kind of translated a little bit, you know, you see it a little there, but he, he hasn't changed his course. He's, he, stayed, he stayed with the belief in, in the system and, and things like that. And it's good it, it happened last game, but I'd say right now he's already on the next one. From a young offensive lineman to a couple of young cornerbacks who got a chance to see the, the field this week as the Dolphins kind of pulled some guys off the field there late. Nice to get a chance to get some rest for some of your typical, you know, 90, 100% snap takers. But for Noah Igbenogany and Javaris Davis to get a chance to play some snaps, wanted to ask Coach Burks what he saw from his two young cornerbacks on Sunday. Yeah, no, I was, uh, I, I was uh, happy to see those guys get in, uh, you know, limited snaps. Javaris got in, had a PBU. You know, uh, so I, I think Javaris played about six, maybe six or seven plays, got in and uh, put, got his hand on the ball, which, you know, is not easy to do in our league and against a really good receiver, DJ Moore. So I was very pleased with that. And, you, you know, both of those guys have a lot of talent, a lot of upside. And uh, Javaris Davis is a guy, you know, really since training camp, I've been extremely high on uh, as a guy that I, I think that guy has natural cover, coverage ability and really he has a competitive spirit about himself that I really enjoy coaching uh, day in and day out. So, uh, you know, you never know what these guys' career is going to take them, but anytime you can go out there and experience some type of success, uh, that does a lot for your confidence. And at that position, confidence one is the first things that you have to have. That was obviously late in the football game, but early in the game we saw the Dolphins get hit for a big completion, then basically respond and just give up almost nothing after that. So from a philosophical standpoint, I wanted to ask Coach about how do you adjust to getting hit like that with a big play? Do you change the way you do things? What's the approach from the team? Here's Coach Burks. No, we just keep playing. We, we, we just really keep playing. You know, uh, you don't never want, uh, obviously, to put your players in poor positions to, you know, execute and be successful. But, you know, at the same time, with our mentality and our approach to attacking teams, you attack them regardless. So that's, uh, that's, that's who we are. We, we are. That's our DNA as a defense. We want to go out there and we want to force the issue. So uh, we, we would never back down from that. You know, that's who we are. And those guys really accept the challenge, you know, starting on, on Wednesday. You know, and that's, that's who those guys are, our corners. They're wired like that, and they wouldn't want anything else. Staying in that room with this position group here and a couple of really proven cornerbacks in this league and Xavier Howard and Byron Jones. First, starting off with the interception for Xavier Howard. Again, the fact that he is the fastest player since 1990 to get the 25 picks in his career tells you something about his ball hawking ability. So I asked Coach, that sure was Vintage X, wasn't it? We had a conversation from there. No, no doubt. No doubt. Undercutting those, those, yeah. those dig routes? Yeah, no doubt. Beautiful. It was a beautiful, beautiful he play. Was, he's the... 
Yeah, you know what? I, I, I saw that. Uh, somebody actually uh, sent me that on the email. I, I saw that. I, You know, to, to me, the, the picks are always a plus, you know, just as far as his coach. It's just always stance, alignment, technique, and, you know, his playmaking ability, that's not something necessarily that I coach. That's just him as a player. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, again, some of the plays that he makes out there, it's he, it ain't just wilding the crowd. I'm wild at times as well. You know, so he, he, he is in a uh, he's a hell of a playmaker. Uh, he's an even better teammate. Uh, and, and like I said, I enjoy coaching him and uh, being around him. And now over to Byron, just kind of hearing Coach break down what he does in that secondary, and just how, again how valuable these two guys are to this football team. Yeah, exactly. That's what he does, right? Yeah, no, that that, that that's uh, again, you know, with the Byron, with the with Byron Jones, you got to understand that this guy is an elite corner, uh, and it may not always show up in the stat book. It may not always show up in the stat book, but he does a lot of things that puts other people around him to make plays. You know, uh, outside of him making plays on receivers or him preventing receivers from, you know, catching the ball. So, uh, again, both of those guys are, you know, playing well right now. They're playing well together. They're playing with confidence. And, uh, again, we just got to put our head down and, you know, keep getting better. Let's go ahead and finish up here with Dolphins defensive coordinator Josh Boyer. And I began our conversation by asking him about the benefit or the value of playing defense and what you call and what you go to when you have a lead like the Dolphins did on Sunday, how much that benefits the defense to play from ahead opposed to a tight game or even behind on the scoreboard? Well, it really depends on how the offense treats it. So sometimes uh, when, when you get a lead in the game, uh, offenses, uh, they'll become more one-dimensional. Uh, well, I would say, yeah, the, I mean, really they revert. You, you see a lot less run game. You see a lot less play action. Uh, you see more drop back. Uh, you may see some screens and draws in there. Uh, the run game really kind of shrinks down a little bit. Um, and then there's other teams that uh, they'll just run their offense. So sometimes it, you know, and then when you get down to the bitter end where it's a three-score game and you only have, you know, potentially three possessions left, then, you know, if time's an issue, then teams will, you know, go to their hurry up or two-minute, which, again, a lot of times that's, that's a heavy drop-back pass base game. So um, it, it can be an effect. Uh, it can have little effect. Um, I think more often than not, you see teams revert to more of their drop back pass game. Um, so, I mean, when you kind of know that that's coming, you know, and it, it takes out a lot of variables. With your background as a DB's coach, does it, do you like being able to get deep into your sub packages? Uh, I would just say my, my, my background is a competitor. I always like having a lead. That's, you know, that, 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 that's a good thing. Um, you know, um, I, I think, you know, you're, you're always, it, it doesn't matter the situation. It's more execution. So whether um, you need to get the ball back um, and you're down or whether it's a tight game and you're, let's say, call it normal defense, or you're ahead and you're playing a certain way, I think it ultimately comes down to execution. So I think that's kind of what you're, you're, you're striving for is good execution, um, good play, good fundamentals, good techniques in all those situations. And I think it varies a little bit from game to game based on situation and based on what, what opponents do or how they perceive that you're gonna attack them. 
So there you have it. There's the entire gamut of Dolphins assistant coaches. Didn't quite get to everybody. Coach Godsey, Coach Robbie Leonard. I think those were the only two I did not get questions for on this edition of Drive Time. But we'll have it back in a couple of weeks for another chance to talk to all those guys as well and some new content for you as well, as we do every day here with new content on the Drive Time podcast, including tomorrow's preview show, Dolphins hosting the New York Giants, looking to make it five straight. I'll break that whole thing down for you guys. In the meantime, you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the Dolphins Twitter account at Miami Dolphins, Instagram, everywhere on social media. Follow me at Winkle NFL on both Twitter and Instagram. Check out the Fish Tank podcast with my guys Seth and OJ. They had Dwight Hollier on this week. Go ahead and stay tuned after this outro as well to hear our final segment from the postgame show looking ahead at the New York Giants coming up this week. Check out the YouTube channel as well for our media availabilities and Dolphins Today with Joanna Torres and once a week with yours truly. And of course, last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com for the top news story up this week. Three takeaways from earlier. We'll have the mailbag and top news stories later on this week as well. So plenty of content for y'all up on MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline. Daddy is coming home. Guys, four weeks ago, if I talked about the idea of trap games, you just said, Travis, get the hell out of here. Trap games. Trap games. Travis, don't <laughs> get into it with the trap games. Don't do Juice, I'm having flashbacks. As soon as I hear that, I'm sorry, I was over here trying to check Twitter, but he just said the word trap games. All I, I just see Dave hanging lobster traps from the board there in the locker room. And I, please don't start getting into trap games. <laughs> we lost seven straight games. That's right. We can't have, there are no trap games. Every, you're fighting for your life right now. How could there be, how could there be a trap game? No, I mean, Seth, big Seth, there's always a couple trap games no matter what, man. <sighs> People still listen and watch social media, <laughs> whatever it is, bro. There are still trap games out there. Do you think there. that Brian Flores, you, you lost seven you're not in a row. You're not going to trap Brian Flores, but it's hard for it not to get in with players, man. Are you Come kidding me? On. Bro, we've had opportunities. You think about it, man. You know, we had... Houston looking into get into the Ravens game. That could have been a trap game. I will agree with Seth on that one because you're one and seven. There's no such thing as a trap game. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Like you're but, fighting for oh, you a know win. What? It's so funny, man, because Travis just set me up for failure. He did, and then you he know flipped what I mean? on you. He was quick. like, "Go ahead, you guys get in." And all of a sudden, he's he's he interjecting did. into. Well, it, I do want to I mean? get to your point here because <laughs> no, if, I'm if, done. I'm done. Are we done yet? Are we done? Cut my mic off. There's no trap games. Every game matters. They're playing the Giants, and we're you know we got four in a row. We need to make it five. Yeah, honestly, it is. It's going. It really is one game at a time. Win. No, you know, there's no trap game. We we know how there have been games trap before games. that this team should have won and they felt they should have won and they did not. So if any of those guys in that locker room feel like, oh, it's an easy, it's a cakewalk, whatever, they know that, you know, let's go to London in, in the Jacksonville game. Let's look at some other games we Thank played you. that we have won. No so there's games. no way in the world they're going to treat, there's no trap games when it comes to, for one, the NFL, especially when it comes to this team because, you know, big game after big game after big game and, Literally, literally, you have to go one and every single week. Let me, let me put it to you like this. So, like, I consume a lot of football content, podcast shows, articles, whatever the case may be. 
And it's rotting your brain. For one, it may be. For one, <laughs> I am looking forward to this week because we're going to finally, hopefully, get some, like, it's been like, well, the Dolphins won, but eh, whatever. And they'll, they'll pass it off. This week, you can't argue because they were dominant in all three phases. But if you look at those, those shows, those talking heads, whatever, and those don't matter, but it's still fun for the fans to get that positive talk. Right. If, if you look at those last, this last stretch of games, everyone said, well, they got to beat the Panthers because then right. it's the Giants, and then the Bayern, and the Jets. Still got to come out and beat them, though, Juice. And how do you do that? How do you keep yourself in that frame of mind where it's like, I don't care that we just beat a good football team by a lot. You've got to come back out here and do it again. We know what we do well. We talked about the offense finally getting an identity. We talked about trying to make big plays downfield. That's, that might not be what we're trying to do anymore. You know, the dink and dunk is not necessarily dink and dunk. It's like, it's like run plays that are extended with pass plays and, you know, the RPOs and things like that. We're finding things that are really comfortable with what our personnel is and what our quarterback is, is comfortable doing. And I think Tua is really, really good about not making a big mistake, knock on wood, um, just, you know, and, and getting the ball in the guys in the right hand and, and firing some nice little fastballs in there when he needs to. And then we're aligning on our defense, give us field position, turnovers, things like that. Special teams give us special, uh, give us field position. I think a lot of these guys right now know their roles. And the biggest thing about a team that wants to be successful is every single player knowing their role and doing their job. If they all do their job, we're successful. And I think they realize, like, all right, I, I wanted to be this guy. This, this is my role. And they're, they're starting to be very specific in what they're doing in their roles. And I, I, it's, it's so much fun to see it, like, kind of morph now to what we wanted it to be. We wanted to be home run hitters left and right. Why aren't we going deep? Why aren't we doing this? Why aren't we doing that? Well, that's not what we are right now. And it might change, you know, you know, later this year or even next year. But for now, what we're doing is working. Have you ever tried to fix something that wasn't broken? Right hmm. now, everything is kind of working right now. So stay the yeah. course. You do it with a lobster trap. Exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. So stay the course. You know what I mean? Get the ball to guys. You know, and look at this. Think about this. We got some guys that, that offensively that could be big guys next week that weren't big guys this week. Always, Waddle's going to be a main factor. Gaston's going to be a main factor. Who knows what Lindsey's going to bring with another week in this offense. You. you know what I mean? We get Kasiki involved. We're, we're, we're trending the right way.